Welcome, everyone, to today's podcast, What's Your Delta, MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development, with your host, Janice Palaganis, who is the Associate Professor of Health Professions Education and the Associate Director of the PhD Program in Health Professions Education, along with Peter Kahn, the Associate Provost for Academic Affairs at the MGH Institute of Health Professions. So, Peter, I made a boo-boo in our last uh, conversation. No, no, this is fantastic. (laughs) And I used the word allied health. And as I was saying it, I was thinking to myself, is that an old term? And and so now I I need to hear about what you think about the word allied health or the phrase, I should say. Right. And I should say this is I'm speaking from myself. And there is a journal of allied health. Right. Which is sponsored by the Association of Schools of allied health professions. And I've published in that journal and recommended it. And I think it's a lot of <laughs> valuable content. However, <laughs> uh-huh. the benefit of my position, Janice, being an anthropologist, I'm not one of any of these health fields. Uh-huh. So I can sort of listen and compare. I do love this. And what early on in my, I've been now in this role eight years, I realized that when people were talking about the goals of interprofessional care, which is patient, family-centered, that the term allied health uh, really didn't go along with that spirit. Because when you say allied, who are they allied to? I Probably. I, I'm, I love that you're making me think more deeply about this because, I mean, if you think of allied health, isn't that just a team? And shouldn't the physicians be part of this allied well, it, group? Well, I think that's where it comes from is that it's not, you're not saying that they're allied with the client or the patient or the family or the community in the center of care. Mm-hmm. You're saying they're allied to the physicians, maybe nurses and pharmacists who are these sort of core, more traditional players. Mm-hmm. And that you have these other sort of floating sphere of <laughs> occupational therapists and speech pathologists, and athletic trainers. They're all just to be brought in when that core group need mm-hmm. some help. And if you think about, no, the patient's at the center. So if you're recovering from stroke, the sort of strongest member of your care team may be the PT, the OT, the speech pathologist, and the physiatrist is someone who is brought in once in a while. Mm-hmm. They're the ally in this case. But it, with allied health, you're sort of forever locked into the outside circle if you're not mm-hmm. part of that core care team. And that's no way to think about yeah. integrated collaborative care. It's so paradoxical to the actual term. And to the goal that we aspire. So what's your approach? So with their health professions, one thing, the benefit of that is very equalizing. Mm-hmm. It's in the, I wrote a lot, a longer piece called the seven dirty words and started with allied health. But there are things that sort of our triggers for people. So mm-hmm. orders, that's another one that really Wait, so Seven Dirty Words is an article or a blog? No, it's an article. I wrote it in academic medicine. Oh, okay. And the whole idea was here I am this outsider and I'm witnessing how certain words trigger certain people uh-huh. and undermine our goal of working together collaboratively because- Do you remember, what are the Seven oh, geez. Dirty Words? Well, they've expanded too because as it's- circulated other people have shared with me but uh you know orders is a big one that comes up i think maybe orders yeah and like hospital-based medicine okay because order like allied implies that there's someone on top or in the middle someone of superior 
hierarchy uh-huh. who's ordering me to do something. Ordering you to do something. <laughs> And you just carry it out. Right. Okay. Again, the so, patient's not so wait, the wait. center. With every word, I'd love to hear what you recommend. So oh, so well, you'll have to, orders, we'll, we'll have to link because in the, the final article, there's sort of the, the two columns. There's the dirty word and then suggested alternative. It's an old model where you know, the hospital was where health happened. Right. And my frame of thinking is consistently in the hospital. So you'll have to correct me every single time I say something very hospital-based because I am very hospital-based. Well, and so is our health professions education. I mean, that's how most of these folks get trained. That's such a good point. And so the cleaner alternative. So I said experiential. Experiential. So it could be experiential placement. Or experience. Or experience. It's it's sort of um, practice-based learning. Okay, makes sense. But you're not limiting it to... I'm at the bedside or I'm in the outpatient unit. Okay. Uh, oh, this one caused a lot of heckles. Doctor. I can see because it's hard for me being a nurse, Dr. a nurse practitioner, but I'm PhD. Mm-hmm. And so when I am doing mission work and that sort of thing, I, I always feel funny about when the patients call me doctor because I'm not a clinical doctor. Or experiential doctor. No, you're even better. You're a research doctor. <laughs> I'll be clinical there makes sense when you're talking about medicine. So I try, and this is so hard to maintain because doctor is, is so colloquial, but to use the word physician for medical doctor. And then doctor of physical therapy, doctor of and occupational therapy. Or professor. Right. Mm-hmm. Or I'm Dr. Polygonis. I'll be your nurse practitioner today. Mm-hmm. Again, it's unwieldy but it's more accurate and you're giving more information to the client or family. You know, so in Hong Kong, they find PhD in their hierarchy, PhD is higher than a physician, doctor. Mm. And and we had this discussion and and we just we in you know, and by we I mean um, some of the faculty at the Center for Medical Simulation that was teaching with me, and the physicians over um, at Hong Kong Academy of Medicine. Um, and one thing that we talked about was not calling yourself doctor if you are PhD but not MD. Not calling yourself doctor in the clinical or hospital environment, um, and vice versa if you are not a professor or a researcher, not calling yourself doctor when you're in the education setting. What do you think about that? Well, except a I lot of a our MDs have faculty rigor. appointments. So they are both professors of medicine right. or psychiatry, whatever their field. Ladies and, and gentlemen, you should get your MD and your PhD. No, that's... <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> then everything is resolved because you're both at all times. <laughs> I just think giving more information is better than the shorthand because that again implies that a medical doctorate is going to be more useful or valuable to a a patient or family than some other kind of doctorate and that is not always the case Hmm. that's uh, it goes back to those times when the physician was the center of the the leader of the team Mm -hmm. and that sort of goes against the whole spirit of a team which has fluid leadership and it it depends on the context so this is just a quick funny story so when i first got my phd we were dealing with mold issues in our home and so my kids were 
four and no five and six at the time and they were calling me Dr. Fungus. Oh. <laughs> has that stuck? <laughs> it has. They were <laughs> actually talking about it last week. Do you remember when we called you Dr. <laughs> Fungus? Oh, yes, so we can I all remember. We'll sprinkle that throughout. <laughs> I mean, it's also the all the health professions are guilty of this too. If you've noticed, I know in nursing, there's mm-hmm. been a long conversation about do we bump up the entry-level degree for nurse practitioner to the doctorate level. And PT has gone that way. OT is in the process. Speech-language pathology is moving in that direction. And a lot of it has to do with wanting their professionals to be seen as equal members of the team. Mm. You're Often that additional education you're getting is sort of leadership and practice. It's not additional skills. But they want to make sure that their folks contribute and the medical doctor had such weight. Mm-hmm. I've been to school for four years plus my residency, and therefore I know more. Mm-hmm. So how do we get balance? Well, more school for everyone else, which is not always the greatest solution, but there's this sort of race for up the hierarchy. Very interesting. All right, what's your next word? Interdisciplinary, which is one. So I came before coming here. I was at a medical school. And at that point, now 10 years ago, there were more grant opportunities for interprofessional mm-hmm. education practice that was popping up. And I had colleagues that said, oh, we should compete for that. And I thought, I was an institution that had no nursing school. We had uh, like no contact with any of the other health professions, even if they existed on campus. I said, well, what do we have this interprofessional? Like, oh, well, we've got neurologists working with primary care doctors, working with cardiologists. Like, no, 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 no. That's interdisciplinary. Right. But that's uh, all the same profession as medicine. Right. You may be in different disciplines, just like my profession, you say, is academic. And some people are historians and some people are literature scholars or anthropologists. But it's not interprofessional when we get together and talk to each other across departments. You really have to go to other sort of modes of thought. And so that's sort of like a softer way of getting it interprofessional without having to do the hard work of talking across boundaries. Yeah. That's a really great point. And there's so many diff, uh, different definitions when it comes to discipline, specialties, professions, interprofessional. Um, that could be another podcast. So. All right, what's your next <laughs> uh, So I got three, three more. And uh, this one I hear a lot, which is medical. And you hear it, uh, EMR, electronic medical record. Mm-hmm. And Center for Medical Simulation. simulation. We, there's a lot of flack around that. Which I think it's, we're reflects, not just medicine. Right. But and that reflects your origin story. Yeah. A lot of this began in those, I think anesthesia was one of your early mm-hmm. uh, clients or, or roles. But not every health professional practices medicine. Right. And a lot of nurses will say, I don't do medicine. That's right. why we have nursing. It's a different modality. It's a holistic approach. Mm-hmm. And there are health professionals who don't prescribe medicine. And so I say using health, electronic mm-hmm. health record, EHR, again, that brings it back to the patient. It's not about the professions. Yep. This is about the people that we're caring for. Yeah. And so why not center them in our language? Two more. Yeah. My. This is a, a okay. common my, my patient. patient. My, 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 uh, my name on the bracelet of uh-huh. the patient, again, in the hospital setting, that that denies the team-based approach mm-hmm. or, or reverts back to, yes, I have all these people helping me, but I'm the one in charge. And usually mm-hmm. it's the physician 
who says the my, and, and how do we replace that with our, that sort of shared responsibility. Okay. And uh, lastly, patient itself. This is probably the hardest one to dislodge, but um, you know, I'm not the first one to say patient comes from the, the root meaning suffering, and it's, it's not uh, bringing up the active role that we want patients, so you can't avoid it, <laughs> to have in their care. Mm -hmm. So I dither a bit, but I, I, I suggested participant because people say client, but that has not everyone sees that as relevant to them or user mm -hmm. in some places, but user also has a pejorative side to it. Yeah. But participant in anthropology, we went through this. We used to call research participants informants, mm -hmm. which is terrible, particularly for a field <laughs> that has a history of colluding with the intelligence agencies right. in the wars. Right. So I these know, are people I, who I, are I that spying on each other. <laughs> So now you say they're research participants. They're not subjects. You're doing things to them. Yeah. They have uh, agency themselves. And how do you restore that yeah. to, to patients? That's an interesting one. Yeah, I think that's too popularized now. And, you know, I feel like people, when they think of a patient, they know what a patient is. I don't know if they'll ever... That, that one does seem the I, most I difficult I agree. And my goal isn't necessarily just to change our language, but to just to think about it before yeah. you say it. So if you want to say allied health, that's fine. But know what you're connoting when you say that. Yeah. No, I I like having cleaner alternatives for all of the other words. I think patient, it's more um, education for all the providers as well as the patients and family members that they're not just a receiver mm -hmm. um, or, you know, that, that they are a team member and part of that, you know, they're a participant in their right. care. And if we aspire to that, if we say we're providing interprofessional collaborative care, yeah, the language is the way we convey that to mm -hmm. each other and to the people we care for. And mm -hmm. so you have to reinforce it through your words. Mm -hmm. I remember when I shared this with some faculty here at the MGH Institute, a another one popped up, a sort of trigger word for this person was physician's assistant, apostrophe S. Mm -hmm. And she said, no, it's physician assistant. Mm -hmm. And I realized, yeah, I've seen it sort of interchangeably or, or heard it even in um, media sources, physician's assistant. So that apostrophe S, mm -hmm. we don't belong to anyone. We're mm -hmm. not possessed by the physician. We work in tandem. And in this case, you, know, you have to have a supervising physician. But in some cases, that physician could be in another part of the state. You don't belong to them. You are your own expert in your own right. Mm -hmm. And these, I mean, and you know, as little as that apostrophe S was enough to make this person cringe. Yeah. And imagine if you're trying to work with her as part of your team and you let that slip. Oh, this is Janice, the physician's assistant. Mm -hmm. She's not going to be willing to work with you at her utmost because mm -hmm. she hears, huh, you don't really value my expertise. You think I'm just an appendage of someone else. Well, I mean, it's true. Everybody's got these trigger words or things that trigger them um, around language. And it's it's difficult to be, I mean, I think it's important to be sensitive and to think about what in the world are, are these like dirty words? Like what, what, what are these trigger words? Um, and to kind of have an awareness as to the fact that they are trigger words because that could ruin a relationship, especially if you're just working with them for the first time. Um, and I know like in my world of simulation, there are different 
dirty words and trigger words that just you can automatically you make assumptions as soon as you hear them. Hmm. So for, example, example, for, for example, for example, um, we use mannequins, and um, people some people will say dummies, ah. and. <laughs> It's so, you know, it just seems way oversensitive, but as soon as, you know, as somebody being in the field for more than, you know, even two, three years, once you start hearing that word from an individual, you just know, oh, I'm dealing with a novice. Or, right. You know, you're like, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you're making assumptions and it's not bad assumptions. It's not like, oh, you're stupid. Like I'm assuming you're mm-hmm. stupid. It's just, oh, you're new to this field. Um and just being aware of that, I think in any science or in, you know, wherever you work, you'll get to know language. And I think language is an interesting thing because especially with clinicians, like I feel like in academia, oh boy, I mean, especially the um, some of the faculty that I've worked with on a daily basis, um, you know, whether through the Society for Simulation Healthcare or, you know, other things, we could spend years on one word, you know, putting together the dictionary Oh, right. was you could spend years trying to come to consensus on one word. And um, I even did, uh, for example, I did a round robin with experts in the field of feedback and sent the definition. It went from one person to the other and I was tracking changes. It changed every time. I mean, like there were times in, in rounds where it just be completely deleted <laughs> And a new definition put in and, and um, the balance of, you know, being very cautious uh, and, and I'm making my own assumption here. I feel like in academia, we're a little more cautious about it because we know the repercussions and the importance of Mm -hmm. language. Um, And, and then whereas like in the clinical world, it's like, oh, we all know what you're talking about. Just say it, you know, (laughs) and um, how do you have that balance? Without being tongue-tied, because the goal is not to make you tiptoe around every single word, right. because then you can't communicate at all. Right. But some of these take some practice, and to replace them in your mind could reflect a shift in thinking, mm-hmm. or at least the way it's received. Because maybe you know when you say doctor, you mean everyone with a doctorate degree, but the people receiving it don't know that you think that way. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't take a lot, but there is some effort involved in saying, physician, when talking about the medical doctorate, and then doctor of nursing practice or whatever the other one is. So yeah. you, you don't have to be on eggshells for, for fear of offending. That's not the goal. You right. all want to be able to work together. And language is our window into each other's minds. So we have to get that clear view so we know this is someone we can work with. Mm-hmm. So summarizing our three tips to avoid trigger words. Tip one, use health whenever possible. Instead of medical, it is broader and encompasses the wide range of activities and professionals associated with patient care. Tip two, be aware that word choice and language convey meaning and reflect underlying concepts. It's helpful to check for confirmation. And tip three, be precise when you speak. Don't rely on general terms when more specific ones might be better. Yeah, I think you can do an analogy for publishing for a separate chat with you, Janice, about journal editors and what written words really trigger them Mm -hmm. uh, and potential reviewers, too. Is that something that uh, we 
we adopt a different language when we write, often right. a sort of pseudoscientific guise. Yeah. And how is that conveying meaning clearly or how is it obfuscating in mm -hmm. order to make us sound more intellectual? Mm -hmm. And so I got a whole nother list of That's awesome. trigger words oh, for that. I would that. love to hear that. We definitely need to talk about that. <laughs> but All for right, now, David. people will be silent after hearing this. <laughs> that's not the goal. All right. Well, uh, I won't say goodbye because that would be like a trigger word. So we'll say um, <laughs> till next time. Hasta entonces. All right. Thank you for listening to our podcast, What's Your Delta, MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development. We hope you come back and listen to our future podcasts with your hosts, Janice Palaganis and Peter Kahn of the MGH Institute of Health Professions.